Hello, and welcome to the Abiding Together podcast in partnership with Ascension. Abiding Together is a place where you can find connection, rest, and encouragement on your journey with Jesus Christ. My name is Sister Miriam James, and every week I am joined by two of my dearest friends ever, Heather Kim and Michelle Benzinger. What you're going to find is we're three normal women who are on the journey, who laugh, we cry, we have all kinds of adventures, and our heart is to share our love of Christ with you, our friendship, and all the beautiful and broken places that we encounter. So you are most welcome to join us on this journey. Grab a cup of coffee, get settled in, and welcome home. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Abiding Together podcast. We are finishing up our series on the line, the Witch in the Wardrobe. So jump in and join us for the last few chapters. And I want—I must say, dear friends, we are together. Heather, Michelle, and I are literally in the same room. We're very cuddled around one mic, and we're about two feet apart, and we've already been laughing. So it's amazing. We can't believe it. Yeah. We are having way too much fun together. My guts hurt from laughing so hard this weekend. <laughs> it's been awesome. She just sticks a microphone in my face and I says did. to start talking. No, it's your turn. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be with both of you right now. And I can't even believe we're recording and you're sticking a microphone in my face. But it is exciting to be together. And we've been together for the last three days. And we have laughed a lot mm-hmm. and cried a little mm-hmm. and eaten a lot mm-hmm. and prayed. Mm-hmm. So it's been good. Mm-hmm. All the good things. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> So earlier at this, we were at this conference and this conference had these awesome, big, huge balloons. And Heather and I wanted to play like the the scene in Up where you grab a whole bunch of them and just ascend into the atmosphere. Yeah, but Michelle wouldn't let us. So (laughs) I can't even remember this. So obviously it wasn't like ingrained on my head. So um, you're having adventures without. Oh, I love we have all kinds of adventures, not unlike the children in Narnia. So. It has been really wonderful, the journey in this story, and we're going to conclude today of, of what happens in this book. And so we're starting on uh, chapter 13, and this is where the kids have encountered Aslan, and he's about to make a trade for Edmund, which I absolutely love. And so this whole journey of you know what it means to be restored, what it means to be reconciled, and how ultimately what it is, it's, it's a vision of how Christ gives his life for us. So he takes our betrayal, you know, in a sense, and, and turns it um, and takes it on himself and restores us and resurrects us, but he takes it down to his own death and rises again. And so uh, one of my favorite parts of this chapter, chapter 13, is where the uh, Aslan speaks to the witch, and the witch is quite happy to have Edmund in her grasp, and she thinks she's about to win the whole, you know, battle. And um, then Aslan goes and he approaches her, and then he says, he meets the witch and he comes back, and he says, at last they heard Aslan's voice. You can all come back, he said. I have settled the matter. She has renounced the claim on your brother's blood. And all over the hill there was a noise as if everyone had been holding their breath, and now they had begun breathing again. The witch was just turning away with a look of fierce joy on her face. And then she talks about, how do I know the promise will be kept? And Aslan roars. And Aslan, ultimately what he does is he gives his life for Edmund to restore him. So I don't know, how do you... What, what are your thoughts about that, Heather, as you kind of journey into that part? I think even in reading the story, you expect what happens between Aslan and Edmund to have a lot more anger in it. Like, mm-hmm. I still would expect that, like, Edmund comes and Aslan would be so furious with him. Like, why could you do this? And how did you betray your, your family? And that there would be this angry encounter, you know, which I think is often how we view God, mm-hmm. you know, is that we have these false – 
impressions of the personality of God that somehow he is waiting to be angry, waiting for us to screw up so that he can be angry at us and smite us or turn us into a pillar of salt or something like that. But um, maybe not that extravagant, but you know what I'm saying? Like we just have these false impressions that God is somehow going to be angry with us. And we see in this scene that um, it's all very quiet. It's very personal. Uh, Edmund's encounter with Aslan and then Aslan says, we're not going to talk about this anymore, mm, you know, mm. which I think is, you know, as far as the East is from the West so far, will I cast your sins from you? For you, Michelle, that was something that you noticed as well. It is. I went back a little bit before that part where um, he tra- Aslan trades his life for Edmund's. He, um, Aslan is talking to the children. He said, here's your brother, he said, and there is no need to talk to him about what is past. Mm-hmm. And it was like so um, firm, but yet kind and gentle how he approached it. But that is so different than how what we want things. Mm-hmm. Like we want justice. And when we are betrayed, we're like, but no, you did this to me. Mm-hmm. you know. And I don't think that we realize that God is a God of justice. And he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But I think the Lord's vengeance looks very different than our vengeance. We want other people to suffer in a lot of ways. Like if we are hurt, we want them to hurt. Mm -hmm. And instead of allowing um, forgiveness to come in, especially if we've been betrayed by someone closest to us, like a brother or a sister, someone very dear. Mm -hmm. Um, But we need to realize that, okay, we forgive people for us almost more, I think even more than we forgive them for the other people, um, for our hearts. And it is God's job to restore and it's God's job to bring justice to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a really hard lesson to learn. But he did it so gently and lovingly. And um, he forgets our sins. Like Heather says, as far as the East is from the West, he um, forgets and he just sees us who we are. Mm-hmm. And I also loved a little bit when the witch approached him and um, the Queen of Narnia and the Empress of the Long Island desires a safe conduct to come and speak with you. And Mr. Beaver goes, Queen of Narnia, indeed, of all the cheek, you know, like, who does she think she is? You know, like, that is not who. I love what Aslan says. says, Peace, Beaver, said Aslan. All names will soon be restored to their proper owners. And so in the meantime, we will not dispute them. Isn't that we want God will restore who we are and what we are called in our goodness Mm -hmm. and our beauty and our truth And we won't dispute them. We will just lean into the truth of who we are. Mm -hmm. And isn't that so when we are betrayed or someone is coming against us, isn't the first thing we want to do is defend ourselves? But no, I'm this, or I'm this, or this is I am. And instead of allowing God to be our defense, Mm -hmm. you know, that he will defend our reputation. Mm -hmm. You can break out into Taylor Swift reputation song right now. Oh, (laughs) yeah. You you were making me watch that earlier. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk about that in another time. And I I agree. And I think, you know, when we talk about being betrayed and having pain, it's true because there is an injustice Mm -hmm. and the injustice must be made right. And so God will do that. So I love that whole, you know, in in time and in time, all things will be made well again. And that's what we long for. And that's what we yearn for. So, Mm -hmm. and we see in that comment, you know, it's not an instant thing. Mm -hmm. It's not that everything is restored instantly. Um, But Aslan knew what was to come. He knew what he had talked to the witch about and he knew what was happening, that there was a process happening Mm -hmm. of restoration and where a debt would be paid. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to trust God that he He knows what is happening, even though it might not be instantaneous for us. He's more concerned about our intimacy with him mm-hmm. than he is just about us getting what we want or experiencing relief from suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, Not that he wants us to suffer in any way, but sometimes that is important for us mm-hmm. to, to be able to experience the new life that he has. 
Well, I think something that you recently said, Heather, you were sharing about just being a parent and what it's like to watch your kids suffer. And you wish you could protect them from everything, but you can't. And it's heartbreaking, but the, you know that there's certain things they have to go through. And you really equated it to how God, in his mercy, you know, we want God to protect us from everything, but only in ways many times only known to him, that we have to go through certain things, right, to mature and to um, to be made whole. Yeah, I felt like one day, this was a hard word to receive, but I felt like one day God just said in, in the quietness of my heart, like, Heather, if you save your kids from everything, then they won't need me to be mm. their savior. Mm. And And they don't just need you to fix their problems. They need a God who will love them and care for them and restore their hearts, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, oh. Man, like it's so true, but it's so hard. It is so hard to just step back and go, not with, obviously we care for our kids well. We're not just going to be standing on the sidelines, but, um, but to be able to discern really, like when am I supposed to step in and when do I need to let God be a savior here? Yeah. You know? Michelle, do you find that same thing journeying with your own kids? Oh yeah. And I don't want them to be uncomfortable at all. And I don't want them to have to, I don't want growing pains for them. I want their life of ease, but a life of ease doesn't um, prepare them for one, it doesn't build character, but it doesn't, like Heather said, depend on their God, mm-hmm. you know. And the, we have one child that is very um, self-sufficient and very, uh, he's just a really great kid. I mean, all my kids are great, but he's just a really great kid and very, like, self-sufficient, like I said, and he had a stumble. And a good friend of mine said, Michelle, this is a great thing to happen to him now because he will realize that it's not, he, he can't do things in his own power, mm-hmm. that he has to learn humility and that mm-hmm. there's a God and not, mm-hmm. which is such a hard lesson to watch. And, um, I think for all, especially like moms, parents, everything, but like our kids are like our Achilles heart, you know, we will do whatever it takes to prevent them from pain. And I feel like the Lord, no, I don't, I think my idea is that the Lord allows pain for us to, um, know his goodness still, Mm -hmm. you know, he, you know, he will make, um, beauty out of ashes if mm-hmm. we surrender it to him. Mm-hmm. It is just that surrender part, letting go of it, because we want to hold on so darn tight. And I think it's important to note that God allowing things doesn't mean that he causes suffering exactly. to oh, teach yeah. us a lesson, no, you know, yeah. because we hear that a lot. Like people are like, well, I think God's trying to, you know, he's teaching me something. He's making me suffer through this. And I'm like, no, God, God isn't the source of suffering. He's the source of all that is good, mm-hmm. you know? And so suffering happens because we are on this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. If, if he took away, intervened in all of our suffering, we would be in heaven. That's what our hearts are longing mm-hmm. for. But um, the fact that we experience suffering isn't a sign that God doesn't care or that he's making it happen to us. Mm -hmm. The difference is that although suffering happens on this side of heaven, God can make all things good and new in it. And that that's the hope that we cling to. Mm -hmm. I mean, we must. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's very true. And I think even on the road to sorrow, um, you see that need for even community and communion. And I see that Michelle pulled up on her laptop, the same quote I pulled up as well, whereas um, Aslan is feeling lonely and he invites communion like Christ, where he's saying, you know, could you just not, could you just stay and watch with me? Can you just stay and watch for an hour? And just the, the really okay, the, the women did. Yeah. The women, the, all the guys were asleep with the women like, Hey, yo, we're know? here for you. Susan and Lucy, they were there. Yeah. And so the Lucy says to Aslan, she's like, Aslan, dear Aslan, what is wrong? Can't you tell us? And Susan says, are you ill, dear Aslan? And Aslan says, no. 
I am sad and lonely. Lay your hands on my mane so that I can feel you are there and let us walk like that. Oh, I just love that. And they bury their hands in his mane and they accompany him, you know, like the, like the disciples did or like Christ desired for them to do. And all of us need that in our sorrows, even like Job, even if friends can't say anything to really change the situation, just the presence of people who love us that can hold our story uh, works wonders. And even the Lord himself, right, asks that. Yeah, I think we need to invite people into our suffering. It's a hard thing to do. Like many of us who especially have a wound of self-reliance or we don't want to be needy or, you know, we have believed the lie that we're just too much for people. We don't want to burden them. Um, these are all really lies from the enemy and things that that cause us to to hold back from people and our mm-hmm. vulnerability. And I think there's something beautiful about being vulnerable with one another and allowing each other to hold space for pain mm-hmm. and suffering, to be able to journey together and to bring the relief even of the heart, you know, that I'm not alone in this. And it was so interesting when I was reading it this time, you know, you read the same book, but when you're years older and you start to read it and picking up from the quote where sister just read and said, so the girl's Um, did what they would have never have dared to do without his permission, but what they had longed to do ever since they first saw him. Bury their cold hands in the beautiful sea of fur and stroked it, and doing so, walked with him. Mm. And when I was reading it and preparing for this, I said the women stayed. Mm. They stayed and they were so close, but they went further than an encounter. They had already encountered Aslan, but they went further than an encounter. They went into an embrace. Mm -hmm. And that is when the embrace comes is when intimacy comes. We we say like, yes, you need to encounter Jesus. So we encounter Jesus in that first initial meeting or continuing meetings. But what he really wants to do is us to even take a step further and lean in closer and have an embrace. And when we embrace Jesus, especially embrace Jesus in the cross and the suffering, then he brings us to the resurrection. That is the beautiful journey. That's the adventure. You know, but just the whole imagery of them running their fingers through his mane or being so close to his face. That is the beautiful vision of the intimacy with Christ that he's calling us to. Yeah, and it's the it's the women that do that. Like that and that's part of, you know, like John Paul II calls us experts in relationship. Experts in matters of the heart, and that's what women do so well. They tend to the heart. They put their hands in the mane and just and comfort and walk with and and care for and are a refuge and a shelter. And um, you see that very clearly. And it's very interesting that it's it's Susie, uh, Susan, and Lucy who also see, in a sense, Aslan scourge. They see him shave. They see him mistreated, and they could just see the pain of their own hearts as they watch what happens to him. And as they think he's dead, right? But he comes back to life. But just I don't know, like the beautiful journey of like Mary with Jesus. Like she walks all the way to Calvary, and not once does she. She wince or turn away or walk back. She walks all the way with him to stand at the foot of the cross at Calvary. Yeah, and she doesn't try to save him in it. Oh. You know, she knows that this must happen. And I, I think that that's something we sometimes fall into. It's like, well, let me fix this for you. Mm-hmm. You know, someone comes with suffering. It's like, let me solve this. Let me mm-hmm. fix this. Instead of just being able to hold the space mm-hmm. and say, I see that you're in pain mm-hmm. and I'm going to sit in the pain mm-hmm. with you and wait with you and mm-hmm. wait in joyful hope of the coming of the Savior. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So um, as they watch, you know, and as Aslan and, and the witch think she's triumphing and she's, you know, uh, thinking she's about to take over the land for good, something very beautiful happens. Like we talked about often that the resurrection is a surprise. And I've thought a lot about that just in my own life of, you know, especially recently of having so many situations where I feel like I'm sitting at the foot of the cross and, and you know, vulnerable and just, you know, very tender and very um, 
just kind of almost at my end in certain regards and Christ comes to resurrect me, which is really true. And it's, it's the resurrection. I believe Adam Young says is always a surprise. <laughs> it's so true. And, and you see that for the kids as well, that the resurrection here, they're not really sure what is happening. And then he, um, uh, he resurrects, Aslan resurrects and the Narnia is never the same. And I love the whole process with Aslan resurrecting. It gets, it's very dark and then it gets a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter, but it's not light all at once, you know, and isn't that how our journey is? It's like, it's really dark. I like, and you can't even see a way out of it. And then you get a little glimmer of light and then another glimmer of light and another glimmer of light. And then the full light, you are in full color and full lights. And when he comes back and he is resurrected Aslan, it so much struck me that they played. That is the first thing that they did yeah. together. Like they frolicked, they played, they exa- and, and I was thinking, do I do that with the resurrections in my life? You know, do I really do when God resurrects something in my life or he continues to bring resurrection? Do I play? Mm-hmm. Like, do I just delight in who he is and allow him to delight in who I am? Mm-hmm. And I just loved that, um, just that that was their reaction. And that I think they were playing tag and all of that. It was just p- pure childlike wonder. And um, do we wonder, do we still have childlike wonder in the resurrection? I love the power. I love the power of playing. It's so it's such a powerful thing that, you know, as adults, we call it adulting, but we forget. And that forgetting is not childish. It's childlike, really. The, I mean, the playing is not childish. It's childlike. Yeah. And to me, like that speaks of just the joy of being in the present moment of what was happening. And it, it made me think about, you know, the the people that Jesus healed, the lepers, and only one came back mm-hmm. to say thank you. One came back with gratitude, which obviously he was just savoring everything that had happened. And that's what we see them doing. And I think often we don't do that. We don't savor these moments of encounter with God. We don't savor the goodness of God when he blesses us. We're just moving on to the next thing. And so I love this pause in the book where they just enjoy it and, and they're filled with joy and they let their hearts experience the joy. They don't just rush past it. And then they go to um, set people free. They go to the castle where the statues are. They go to set people free. And I love even on their journey, um, Lucy says, oh, you're real. You're real. Oh, Aslan and cried. And um, fl- both of the girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses, you know, but I love it that a resurrection comes and then we get to see the realness of God and we, he makes it so personal and he comes so close and he makes it so personal. And then they frolic and play and then they go to the castle to undo all the stone statues, all the animals mm-hmm. that she's done. But I even love that how he says, okay, girls get on my back. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's an adventure. It is a journey. And it was really convicting to me. It's like, okay. I mean, I think oftentimes I treat my relationship with Lord as a burden in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, or not even a burden. That's what I've said earlier in the podcast, you know, like it's a ta- task of to do's like, let me do this for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I forget that it's a, the love story, but not only is it a love story, it's an adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants me to feel the wind in my face while I ride on his back. He wants me to delight in him. He wants me to do that. And they come across the um, castle and they see all these things frozen, all these statues, all the animals frozen. And Aslan brings them back to life. And it just struck me. The venture with the Lord is that is the main thing. When you venture and journey with the Lord, you get to see him bring things back to life. You get to bring him see hearts of stone become hearts of flesh. You get to see him bring those of us, all of us that have been sleepwalking in ways and been dead, come back to life because a lot of us are walking dead in our world. And then we come back to life. And that is 
a miraculous thing to be on an adventure with him for. And I love how Aslan actually brings the the statues back to life as he breathes on them, which is so scriptural. Like that's yes. exactly what Christ does to the disciples and he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit and just that breath, the breath of life into the statues and they and you know, it says that it's just for a second they weren't really sure what was going to happen. Then after he breathes on them, then a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back, and then it spread. Then the color seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks all over the bit of paper. Then while his hindquarters were still obviously stoned, the lion shook his mane and all the heavy stone folds ripped into living hair. And you can just see, like, just even the color, whereas Narnia before has been frozen without Christmas, with no color. Even the witch is white, and she's, you know, without, she's devoid of any, like, contours or rich color, and you just see the color coming back to life. Okay, but I was thinking about that. I loved it. I was looking at the gold part. I was also thinking like Outsiders Stay Golden Pony Boy. But anyway, totally different book. But what I was thinking about was that do I live life in gray in stone cold or do I live life in technicolor? It is like, do I live a life like, because really a life full of the gospel, even with sorrows and passion that is going to be red and deep and purple. Like our liturgical colors are deep colors. Mm -hmm. We have the green and then we have the reds and the pinks, their richness in the color. Mm -hmm. Or do I live like a gray stony life? You know, do I live a life in technicolor? Yeah. I think it asked the question for me again is like, am I experiencing death and resurrection in my life? You know, we've talked about this earlier, but I think it really is a question we need to ask ourselves because life isn't supposed to be boring. It isn't supposed to be just coasting through, uh, mediocre, you know, all of those types of things, which often it is, you know, or, or just filled with so much hustle that we can't tell up from down. Mm-hmm. But am I experiencing deaths and resurrections in my life? Do I just have one testimony where God broke in that one time years and years ago? Or is he breaking through every day, every week, every month, you know, into different areas of my life to, to make my heart come back to life again? And that's so true. And I, you know, we've talked a lot about how when we try to mute out suffering, we try to mute out pain, that what we do is we mute out joy. Mm-hmm. We mute out colors. And so the most really agonizing but glorious way to live to live is to have a heart vulnerable and broken open both to joy and to sorrow. And just to make a, just even a deeper point, Michelle, of what you're saying about color is that that's what C.S. Lewis says. It says, instead of all that deadly white, the courtyard was now a blaze of colors. Mm-hmm. Glossy chestnut sides of centaurs, indigo horns of unicorns, dazzling plumage of birds, ready brown of foxes, dogs and satires, yellow stockings and crimson hoods of dwarves, and the birch girls in silver, and the breech girls in fresh transparent green, and the larch girls in green so bright that it was almost yellow. (laughs) I love it. Oh, that's just so incredibly beautiful. Yes. Yes. And so winter is over, right? And the spring, um, the spring comes again. And Aslan uh, comes to take his place. So, yeah, I think we need to move again from the fairy tale of Narnia and reflect on the truth of the gospel. These are not stories. Like we, I have to remind myself of this all the time. I'm like, this is not a story. So I have to ask myself the question: If I'm not experiencing this in my life. Where do I need to invite the Holy Spirit in to breathe life into me again? Amen. You know, you go, <laughs> a- amen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. Can we do this live every week? <laughs> yeah. No, but it's very true. You know, so I, I don't want, you know, our podcast to just be like things that people hear. And even for me, things that I'm just saying out into a microphone that I'm not living in my heart. Like we need to take the things we're talking about 
and not just write them down as a quote, but actually live them and integrate them. And I think this is something that we rarely do, actually. I think we talk about a lot of things, but we don't rarely pause long enough to ask the questions, how do I need to integrate this into my life? Where is my heart hard? Where am I dying? And where do I need to invite God in to make it new? For real, for real, because he can. Like, this isn't just a story. He can. He is still raising people from the dead. It wasn't just in the Bible 2,000 years ago. He is still working miracles, and he can in our hearts, too. Yes, I I want to talk about the very end of this uh, book, but go ahead, Michelle. Yeah, so they go into the battle, and um, Peter and the witch are fighting. Mm -hmm. And then Aslan and Aaron serious fight here. I mean, we're talking like Star Wars kind of battling hit out with her. They don't have lifesavers. They have knives. But anyway, they're doing that. And then Aslan comes in. And as soon as Aslan gets there, it's quickly over. Mm-hmm. And it's something that struck me is like, okay, as soon as we invite the Lord into our battle, he can end it. You know, he can get in it. Do we invite him into our battle? And he can come. And then all of a sudden, you know, Aslan comes and all of Narnia is restored. Yes, and the kids uh, have an epic adventure, right? King Edmund and er, just everybody. What a wonderful story. And then Queen Susan says, Then in the name of Aslan, if you will all have it so, let us go on and take the adventure that shall fall to us. And so they enter the thicket, and what they find is that they don't go deeper into Narnia. uh, They go back into the wardrobe. And it, I love it that it says that it, it's the exact same moment as it was when they left. Like time, it just like they entered a different dimension, right? And they come back out and they uh, have to go tell the professor about all their adventures. But I just, uh, you know, it's true. We go back into our own hearts and the adventure of our own hearts. And it's the coming in and the going out. And, and here they are with this memory deep within their souls of a land to which they know they belong. And then coming back to live daily life, which is so much of our own prayer life when we have these encounters with the Lord, that they don't just stay deep in Narnia. They actually are permeated into the rest of our lives, into our relationships. Mm-hmm. I think for me, just reflecting on the whole story and reading this book again and the experience of it is that there was a really playful side of this, like mm-hmm. the playful side that I saw on our discussion groups on Facebook for all of our listeners that were just sharing photos and their experiences. And there was just like this playful uh joy that that we were all able to experience. And so what I'm leaving with from this study is how can I continue to invite playfulness and joy into my life? And maybe the, this book wasn't your thing, but maybe something else is. Maybe it's something artistic or maybe it's, you know, getting out and riding your bike and just being outside in nature and enjoying that. But where are we going to make space for joy and childlike wonder in our life? And and that's a question that I'm really going to continue to ponder and, and integrate and put into action. And I love right before they go back into the wardrobe and go back to the regular lives, the conversation with Mr. Bieber, um, because, but amid all the rejoicing, Aslan himself quietly slipped away. And the, when the queens, the kings and queens noticed that he wasn't there, they said nothing about it. For Mr. Bieber had warned them, he'll be coming and going, he had said. One day you'll see him, and another you won't. He doesn't like being tied down. And of course he has other countries to attend to. It's quite all right. He'll often drop in, only you mustn't press him. He's wild, you know. He's not like a tame lion. Amen. And that's the wildness of the, of the Holy Spirit. That's the wildness of God. He's not tame. We can't control him. But man, it's an adventure. And sometimes we don't feel him. Sometimes we don't feel his presence, but he is there and he is coming. And I love at the very last chapter, they refer to the four children as the kings and queens of Narnia. And it says their names had been restored. Their identities have been restored. It says once a king and queen of Narnia, always a king and queen of Narnia. And that is us. 
We have royal identities and that this is a who we are in our truest being. Are the, is this royalty? Are these kings and queens of the kingdom of God? And so it's just stepping into that identity, you know, just calling it out and stepping into that identity is a powerful thing. And I love when they came back and told the professor and he's like, of course, you know, <laughs> like this is how it happened. And, you know, they were apologizing about leaving the coats, but it's they had grown into who they were supposed to be. So they didn't need the coats anymore. They had grown who they were supposed to be. And I think it's quite interesting when I was reading like some of the, even the commentary on the end of Chronicles of Narnia, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the children were taken out of the city because of a war, but they were put in Narnia to fight a war. And there's power of childlike faith to fight wars. You know, I was thinking even about my children and then the power of children to teach us a lot of things, like the wonder and the play, like we talked about, but I think a beautiful thing about children is they don't have the filter of skepticism yet or they are still, there is a wonder to them. And it got me thinking like, okay, these four children and this adventure of Narnia and how the professor approached them and that he trusted what they said. But oftentimes, like especially in the Catholic church, who does Mary appear to? The majority is always children. And it got me thinking, I was like, why? Because that childlike faith, that trust, they don't have the filter they can really, they have a divine imaginations. They can really understand the wonder of the Lord. And I think that is like Heather was saying, the beautiful of Narnia and reading fairy tales is to invite us into childlike wonder, childlike, not childish faith. And that is the beauty of the story. And perhaps we will all be old enough for fairy tales again one day. So, Well, we hope you've enjoyed our journey into Narnia and beyond. And that, as you know, is only one book of the series. And, you know, it'd be great to see how if that opens your heart to the other books of the series because it's an outstanding uh, story from start to finish. So, But it is time for our one thing. And we, since we're together, we have a group one thing. So we have been together in Lafayette, Louisiana at the wonderful hosting of some dear friends of ours who had a beautiful women's conference called Abide. And it's uh, Kessie, Missy, and Amy who just set a wonderful table for 650 women this weekend. And I know myself, just it was so delightful just to be, people in Louisiana know how to host. <laughs> And everything from food to the conference to uh, just, it was also beautiful. So we're just going to just share, that's kind of in my, my own heart of just being around the beauty and just being so well cared for by these women. That is what women do. They they set up a beautiful table and they care well. So Heather, for you, what was your like favorite part of the weekend or what would you like to talk about? Yeah, I think it was so wonderful to see these women who had never done this before mm-hmm. and they just had this God-sized dream that he had placed in their heart and they just went for it. You know, they didn't know all of the things. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't have all the money, but they trusted Uh and they prayed like they really, really prayed and they stayed close to God. And it was beautiful to see their dream come to life. And it was beautiful to see the hearts of women be so moved. I mean, it was a powerful weekend. Also the biscuits here. I mean, (laughs) that's true, man. That was also a heavenly experience. So, you know, back to normal food tomorrow. But this was quite the weekend. They sure do know how to bless you with food. Yeah. Yeah. And king cake. I think we've eaten our weight in king cake (laughs) since we've been here during Mardi Gras season. Yeah. Yeah, The women were just amazing. And I give a huge shout out to Kessie and Missy and Amy and the whole entire staff and their hospitality. They loved on us so stinking well. Each one of us had like an assistant to help us while we're at the event. I'm like, I don't need an assistant here. I don't have my kids. Can you come home with me? Like be my assistant there. They were just so beautiful. And it was just a real um, joy to be invited in. Um, They asked us about this event for 
me like a year ago to help them. And just to watch their dreams come true. I felt like it was like a little midwife watching it come through for them. It was just a beautiful thing and how the women were touched. And um, Louisiana is so much fun. I love it. It's I really like kind of like a different country, I think, in the United States. But not unlike Narnia. Hmm. Amen. <laughs> Louisiana, the Narnia of the U.S. <laughs> uh, well, before we sign off here, we want to announce that we are doing a Lenten book study. So just to kind of put that on your radar. And we chose, we, we tossed around a lot of ideas and prayed a lot about it and just had a lot of interesting conversations. But we want to tell you, and we'll give you more details later, that we are officially... I wish we could get a drum roll here, yo. We are officially announcing our Lenten book study, which will be by... Father Jacques Philippe, and we are going to study the book Searching for and Maintaining Peace, A Small Treatise on Peace of Heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we could all use a little piece of heart. So if you don't have that book, once you get it, we'll give you more details in the coming uh, weeks. But Searching for and Maintaining Peace by Father Jacques Philippe will be our Lenten book study. So thank you so much for joining us this week. And we hope that you are surprised by color and by joy and by childlike wonder. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, would you please share it with a friend? You can leave us a rating, leave us a review on iTunes. That helps us get the message out to as many people as possible. If you would like the show notes emailed to you, you can go to ascensionpress.com forward slash abiding together. That's ascensionpress.com forward slash abiding together and enter your email address. Click the subscribe button and the show notes will be on their way to you every week. You can also find the show notes on the Ascension Press website, as well as each episode on the iTunes podcast app. You'll find everything there. You can join our private Facebook group and join our community and just get in on everything that's going on. We love to hear from you. Send us an email. Give us a shout out. We are happy to be on the journey with you. And until next week, we will be abiding together. Thank you so much.